I often ask myself, what do we as Christians have that is so good that it's a shame that the world has to live without it? The answer, I believe, is the good news about Jesus, and that is worth sharing. This is Adam Hill, minister of the Word at Rochester Church of Christ, and I pray that today's message shares that good news and that you are richly blessed by it. Our reading this morning will come from the book of John, chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. And in Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. And we have seen His glory. The glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Heavenly Father, we have seen His glory. And we are blown away. We are in awe. God, and in this season where the things going on around us both make it easier to see His glory and harder to see His glory, I pray that we will see the light that has come into the world. God, I pray that with that light you will brighten our minds and enlighten our souls and illuminate our spirits. God, strengthen our faith and guide our steps. May we love you as you have loved us. May we be faithful to you as you are faithful to us. And as we turn our hearts and our minds and our ears toward you, God, speak, Father, for your children are listening. It's in your Son's holy name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I love the words of an Advent prayer written by a friend of mine, Scott McKnight. He wrote, um, 
this prayer. He said, Almighty God, give us grace to cast away the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Now in the time of this mortal life in which your son Jesus Christ came to visit us in great humility, that in the last day, when he shall come again in his glorious majesty to judge both the living and the dead, we may rise to life immortal. Through him who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Welcome to waiting. For those of you that keep the Christian calendar or are aware of the Christian calendar or were in the class that Beth taught last week, you may be aware that Advent started last Sunday, which means today is the second Sunday of Advent. The season of waiting that leads us to Christmas and the joyous arrival of the newborn King of Kings. Now I know that we want to rush to Christmas. After all, Christmas is more fun than Advent. Christmas is more festive than Advent. Than Advent. In fact, I think that Christmas is pretty much more everything than Advent. And beyond that, we don't get good college football games again until after Christmas. <laughs> and so let's just move forward a little bit. We can fast forward and, you know, get to the better stuff. But see, here's the deal. That let it, just knowing that that's the way that it feels lets me know that maybe we need Advent more than ever. Now. Because the church needs to learn how to wait. Disciples have to learn how to wait on the Lord. You see, the truth is that Christmas has become the largest secular holiday in our world. Now it is also one of the most openly Christian holidays in our culture. But in fact it seems like there's two Christmases. There's one that sings about how we can have a holly jolly Christmas, while the other sings about the arrival of joy to the world. There's one that celebrates by giving gifts, and the other that recognizes the gift of the child who is born King of Kings. There's one that, that brings family together, and the other that makes family members of the whole world, especially those who are forgotten and alone. I like the lights though. If you know me, you know I like the lights. I had no idea that when I moved to Rochester, I was moving to a place that liked Christmas lights as much as I did, and that had no problem being Clark Griswold's neighborhood. The lights on the houses, the lights on the trees, the lights in the windows, the lights downtown, lights everywhere. It makes everything a little happier. We need those lights, I think, because there's so much darkness. Jesus said that he was the light of the world. In John's gospel, we're told that the, that the light came into the world, but the darkness did not overcome it. And here's the deal. I want to believe that so badly. That light came into the world and darkness doesn't overcome it. 
I want, I, I profess that, I proclaim it, but man, I've got some trust issues. When I look at the world around me, sometimes it doesn't look, when I look at the mess in this world, in this country, in this neighborhood, in our families, when my life, when I look at the messes, I get trust issues and I need to be reminded of what it means to have God with us. Isaiah 9 and verse 2 says that the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And on those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And then it goes on in the book of Isaiah to talk about uh, what's coming. Show me verses 6 through 9. It says, for, us, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. He'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. From that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. The Lord has sent a messenger against Jacob, and it will fall on Israel. All the people will know it. Ephraim and the inhabitants of Samaria will say with the pride and arrogance of heart. That they think they live in the light, but they don't. They live in darkness. But the good news is a light has shined in the darkness, is what Isaiah is saying. And the four titles that are given there let you know that this moment is special. This is unique among the world's religions. Most religions spend a lot of time talking about how you can get to God, but Christianity is different because our religion spends time telling you how God made His way to us. That the light of the world came into the world so that those in the darkness could see. What does the Bible mean by darkness? I think it means evil. And I think it means ignorance. Tim Keller puts it this way. He says, look at what was happening at the time of the birth of Jesus. Violence, injustice, abuse of power, homelessness, refugees facing oppression, families ripped apart, and bottomless grief. That sounds exactly like today. You see, the Bible's a very surprising book. It never pulls its punches, especially in its honesty about the world. I think of a passage in Ezekiel chapter 37. The hand of the Lord was on me and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of dry bones. He led me back and forth among them and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. And he said, can these bones live? Bones that were very dry. If I look at verse 11, he then said to me, Son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. Say, they say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We were cut off. Now that sounds like the world I live in. Dried up. 
no hope. I feel like I'm cut off from life. Maybe, maybe some of you have been there. Maybe, maybe some of you are there right now. Sometimes well-meaning Christians encounter those who are hurting and begin to explain away the hurt and the brokenness. They clean up this world. Meanwhile, God is much more willing to be honest about things in this world. He knows that his people can feel dry and hopeless and cut off. In particular, the people of Israel had been hearing the promise for centuries, the coming King of Kings, the Messiah. They'd been hearing it for centuries. And I don't know how many centuries you carry around an unfulfilled promise before you start to feel a little cynical about it. Adam, this... This started off so lighthearted. <laughs> you, you made jokes about Christmas songs and then talked about lights, and now you're kind of like really bringing it down, man. How about you go back to talking about lights? Oh, I love you, but it's not Christmas yet. It's still Advent. Learn to wait. All things in due time. Join me in Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. We're going we're gonna to look at some of the story of Jesus over the next uh, several weeks. But Luke chapter 1, I think, I think has this really interesting story. We're not, we're not quite talking about Jesus yet. We're going to get there. We're going to start with a little bit about John. Uh, but Luke chapter 1 and verse 5, it says, In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly, but there was, they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once when Zechariah's uh, division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by Lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. When the time for the burning of incense came, all of the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled, makes sense, and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you're to call him John. He'll be a joy and a delight to you. And many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. He'll bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord." I think verse 13 is really interesting. It says, John, your prayer has been heard. What prayer? We're not told he offered a prayer. We get by implication he offered a prayer. It's implied that he's been praying, that maybe him and his wife have been praying. They're old. She couldn't conceive. But there's no mention of the prayer even when it was offered. As a matter of fact, if you look at verse 18 when he says, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man. My wife's well along in years. It may have been years since he last offered this prayer. 
And yet, 19 and 20, the angel says to him, I'm Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God. I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you'll be silent, not able to speak until the day this happens because you didn't believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Okay, that's the miraculous, that's the story of a miraculous birth brought about by God who is fulfilling a long-awaited hope. But that's not Christmas yet. This is Advent. And this miracle baby is not Jesus. It's John. You see, with with Jesus, God gives a miracle baby to two young people. With John, God gives a miracle baby to two elderly persons. It's almost like it's good news for all. And we see that this is happening in the story about John's birth. It's a tiny version of what's happening in the, in, with the whole world's perspective with Jesus' coming. That Elizabeth and Zechariah have been praying and waiting and hoping for so long that they actually felt forgotten. But God has somehow acted and everything is changing miraculously. Shame is being removed. Hope is coming in. And life is here by God's Spirit. Well, John finally comes out and through um, a very unexpected game of charades is able to communicate to everyone that he's had a vision. And he goes home and his wife becomes pregnant. Meanwhile, Gabriel, the angel, he goes to tell another couple that they're also going to be expecting. And when Mary asks how it could be that God can do this, Gabriel tells her the good news about God's Holy Spirit at work. And it sounds something like this. The Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. But we've waited so long. This was Zechariah's response. I'm old. I'm tired. I've waited and I've waited and finally gave up. And now you come talking about answered prayers. Mary, on the other hand, says she believes and opens herself to God's future. You see, the Holy Spirit enables us to open ourselves to God's future. In fact, when Mary goes to visit her relative Elizabeth, what's it say happens? says the child jumped in Elizabeth's womb. That, that, that even, even when Mary is pregnant with Jesus and she comes near, even in the womb the Holy Spirit is opening John to God's future. And then, if you're reading in Luke's Gospel, it becomes a musical. And I'm not kidding. Everyone starts singing. Mary has a number, it's beautiful. And then Zechariah has a number, and that's that's the one I want to read today. Don't worry, we'll we'll spend time with Mary's song. But right now, I want to get my man Zechariah and his song. 
Verse 67 of chapter 1 says, His father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel. Because he has come to his people and redeemed them, he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he has said through the holy prophets long ago, salvation from our enemies, from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors, to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies, to enable us to serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. You will go on before the Lord to prepare a way for Him, to give His people the knowledge of salvation through, his, through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet to the path of peace. Filled with the Holy Spirit, he prophesies in song, beginning with a word of praise and acknowledging God's provision. He then recognizes God's faithfulness to his promises and victory over our enemies. But remember, that'll look different than you expect. We just studied this. Not through a conquering warrior, but through a slaughtered lamb. Through a baby, a suffering servant that's born of a virgin. The victory of God over his enemies is not their destruction, but their forgiveness. God conquers them with love, not hate. He proclaims that freedom enables us to serve, and he sees the blessing of his child. He says he'll be God with us. He will proclaim that God is with us. The voice of the wilderness of Isaiah 40 and verse 3, calling out that a way be prepared to make straight for the, a path for the Lord. This is his proclamation, that God is with us. He will also proclaim that God is for us, forgiving us with tender mercy and saving us. And he'll point us to the light that will end our darkness. Because though the night has been long, the sun is going to rise and the mercies of God will be new in the morning. Amen? The shadow of death may loom long, but the Spirit of God is bringing new life. You see, Christmas is not just the story of the birth of one child. It's the story of the beginning of the resurrection of the whole world. There is a light in the darkness. You see, John the Baptist is the last in a long list of prophets who came bearing the news of the coming gift. And the John the Baptist story catches off guard, catches us off guard because he's a miraculous child. And it says he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born in verse 15. And then in verse 16 it says he'll bring Israel back to God. And then in verse 17 it says he's going to turn the hearts of the parents back to their children. Hold on. What parent doesn't love their children? Are you, are you saying there was a whole generation where parents were just like, oh, these kids? Well, okay. <laughs> no, we love y'all. What in the world does that mean then? Were the, did they just hate their kids? No. But when we talk about turning the hearts of the parents back to their children, it's talking about turning the hearts of people from the past to the future. That you stop thinking about how good it used to be. 
and you start thinking about what will be. You turn your heart from look at how these kids are going wrong to look at how the future is a friend because God is already there working powerfully, strongly, that we see God in our children and we thank God for the work that God is doing. You start living for a hopeful future. You see, this is part of what makes the people of God prepared for His presence. That those who lament the present and the future in favor of some golden age gone by, the wistfully nostalgic and the bitterly cynical have to reorient their lives to see the hope that lies ahead if they're going to be prepared for God's presence. We have to stop seeing the power and the presence of God. Man, hold on. I'm, I'm going to say this, and here's the deal. Y'all have gotten comfortable. And so it's going to just wash over you like another wave coming in. And you're going to say, is it almost done? I don't disagree with anything, but is it almost done? I, I, okay, let's take a moment, everyone. Put your hands together. Come on now. Come on now. I can see you. <laughs> I want you to squeeze your hands together really tight. Squeeze them tight. Hold them there. All right. Let them go and shake them out. Shake them out. Shake them out. All right. Now listen. This is important. We have to learn to stop seeing the power and presence of God in the past tense. It's killing us. We have to stop relegating our God who is the great I am to the great I was. We have to stop thinking God used to do mighty acts for His people. We have to quit saying the presence and power of God happens in the past tense because we're dying because of it. Some folks instead choose to look for light in other places. Then it, the light came into the world, but that happened a long time ago, and it, apparently we didn't understand it, or we, and, and, and even though we didn't overcome it, it may not be bright enough, so maybe I need to look for light somewhere else, so I'm going to look for light in the government, or maybe I'll look for light in the market. That'll cheer you up. Others are going to say, no, it's going to be technology. That's going to bring us out of this. Some even look to light, get this, some even look to light inside themselves for their hope. That maybe, maybe, maybe if we can just pull it together and by our own strength provide an end to injustice and freedom from poverty and make this world a wonderful place to be, maybe... It's all very sentimental. Christmas can sometimes be very sentimental. We can make it sentimental. But Christmas in the Bible is not about being sentimental. It's about being rescued. It's about joining the resistance. It's about that hope. It's about a hope that doesn't come from inside. It's a hope that comes from outside of us. 
I've heard it put like this. Christmas, therefore, is the most unsentimental, realistic way of looking at life. It doesn't say, cheer up, if we all pull together, we can make the world a better place. The Bible never counsels indifference to the forces of darkness, only resistance. But it supports no illusions that we can defeat darkness by ourselves. Christianity does not agree with the optimistic thinkers who say we can fix things if we try hard enough. Nor does, Christian, nor does, 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 does Christmas and Christianity agree with the pessimists who see only a dystopian future. The message of Christianity is instead, things really are this bad, and we can't heal or save ourselves. Things really are this dark. Nevertheless, there is hope. The Christmas message is that on those living in the land of shadows, a light has dawned. Notice that it doesn't say, from the world, a light has sprung. It says upon the world a light has shined. A light has dawned. It's come from the outside. There's a light outside the world. And Jesus has brought us that light to save us. Indeed, he is the light. And that light is good news for a world in darkness. But that light is a gift. We didn't earn it and we didn't create it. It didn't come from us. It came for us. And now it's with us. Praise God. Amen. Can you go ahead and bring your team back up? Because I, I, I want to read a little more from Ezekiel chapter 37. That valley of dry bones. God says to his prophet, he said, it, it said the prophet writes, Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to these bones. I'll make breath enter you and you'll come to life. I'll attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I'll put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. He said to me, son, these bones are the people of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We're cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says, my people. I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I'll bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I'll put my spirit in you and you will live. And I will settle you in your own land and you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken that I have done it declares the Lord. Notice God doesn't deny that they're dying. He says he's pulling them up from their grave. Christianity is not a denial of the darkness in this world. Christianity does not say waiting is easy. But the work of God among his people is resurrection. Christianity is the faith that resurrection is already at work among the dying and that life not death, light not darkness will have the final word. And all this time I thought it was about a birth. 
but it turns out it's a resurrection for the whole world. That sounds like good news. A quick confession here. Truth be told, as I preach, I'm often preaching at myself. I'm saying what I need to be reminded of. Thankfully, my struggles and questions are not just mine. It turns out that being human brings some pretty universal challenges to all of us. I am so thankful for the good news of Jesus Christ. It has never let me down. I pray that today's message blessed you with the good news. Remember, you are loved and chosen.